Conscious Living Show with your hosts Jan and Bill Moore. We'll take a moment to thank John Fogarty for that song Mystic Highway that we opened the show with. That is off John's latest album, Wrote a Song for Everyone. Fourteen great guest artists and a great album overall. Thank you again to John Fogarty for that opening. And we hope you'll enjoy today's show and all of our shows because our intention is that they will empower you to live with power, passion, and purpose, and manifest happiness and prosperity, harmony and well-being. We'll be interviewing expert guests on conscious evolution, personal empowerment, conscious business, natural health, and how to create a conscious lifestyle, and many other interesting topics. So without further ado, over to my lovely wife, Jan. Thank you, Bill, and hello, everyone. Thank you for listening today. Our special guest, is Anne Liddick, who is a spiritual teacher, writer, and creator of the art of compassion. Anne graduated summa cum laude from the University of Colorado and spent the majority of her nursing career in public health, counseling, and management. She currently teaches holistic health courses, including the role of art in healing, and she provides art therapy and grief counseling for women and families. Anne's art therapy is called the art of compassion. Using her art as the foundation for grief therapy was inspired by her own loss over 20 years ago. She's currently writing her second book, The Birth of a Soul, which follows her first book, The Art of Awakening. Anne is a spiritual teacher, writer, and artist, but first and foremost, she considers herself to be a spiritual healer. The story of how Anne came to her awakening and the subsequent discovery that led to the art of compassion is the stuff of perfect fiction, but it is a true account of an ordinary human being's transformation into a soul being human. Anne has been channeling spiritual essays since she began her journey to enlightenment almost four years ago. Her blog covers many topics of spirituality and healing, what she calls the spiritual art. She began a spiritual sabbatical in the midsummer of 2016 that provided the final spiritual push she needed to embark on the next leg of this incredible journey, which is resurrecting the art of compassion and writing the book it inspired. So I'm really happy and excited to welcome you today, Anne, and uh, we're really going to hear some very inspirational stories, I think, during the course of the next hour. So welcome, Anne. Thank you, Jan. I really appreciate being on the show and being able to um, talk about my work. That's wonderful. Now, you really have an amazing story to tell, Anne, and and like many people, your awakening was triggered by some major challenges. So can you start by telling us about the events that led up to your health crises and your prescription drug addiction? Sure. Um, Well, like all of us who live in this culture, once we spend enough time here, we um, experience the, you know, the hardships and the joys as well. And after about five decades on the planet, I was suffering underneath the weight of some serious health problems that I had developed over, over the years. I've raised four children. I've been through a couple of uh, serious divorces and, um, you know, working in a career of public service, I had 
quite a few stresses in my life. And eventually all of those snowballed into creating um, an autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. And I suffered as well from chronic pain for some other um, injuries I'd had. So by the time I left my job um, at the end of 2012, I was, addicted to over 21 pharmaceutical drugs. I had never once taken one pill more than I was prescribed, but because I was prescribed so many medications, I ended up becoming addicted to uh, narcotics, um, amphetamine um, called Adderall for my diagnosed attention deficit disorder and several other pharmaceutical drugs. So I was in a place uh, that I call stuck between a rock and a hard place, and I didn't quite know how to manage my health problems, get off these drugs that were going to kill me, and also create a a lifestyle where I could earn a living uh, doing what I love to do, and that's um, being a nurse and a healer. So those were the events that led up to my health crisis. And um, mm. the realization that I had to do something different, otherwise I wasn't going to probably survive. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not, I don't think you're alone in having these kinds of experiences with uh, prescription drugs and the addiction that they call them, the com- com- combined side effects that can result from so many different treatments. Um so how did you actually recognize that you were addicted and what were the primary healing modalities you used to overcome that addiction and to heal? Well, I, I think the, the point I realized that I had a drug addiction and was willing to admit that I had a drug addiction is uh, after my final surgery, Um, Back in 2012, I was on so many medications that I seriously um, was unable to function in my personal life. And I realized that there had to be a better way to manage my chronic pain and to deal with an autoimmune disease other than taking these drugs that were really taking me out of the game of life. So I started researching holistic healing modalities, having been educated in the medical paradigm, I was unfamiliar with some of the more natural healing modalities and spiritual remedies for uh, physical health problems. So I started researching medical cannabis. Because I live in Colorado, we have some of the most... um, (laughs) the most progressive laws in regards to cannabis use. And so I I was watching a lot of um, people around me using cannabis for healing their health problems. So I decided to overcome my resistance. Um, having been born and bred in a very strict religion, I had some very strong opinions about drug use, and I had already always considered marijuana a drug, Um, but I had to change my thinking about that. I had to open my mind and actually do some research. 
And being a medical professional myself, I knew how important it was to understand the truth uh, behind dogma and to learn for myself um, how these different modalities could help us. So cannabis was one of the things that I tried, and that was very successful for me. And I also started using healing crystals and stones and other alternative modalities that aren't quite as popular with the medical establishment. And um, come to find out, I was able to completely overcome my drug addiction over the course of several months with just cannabis and these healing crystals I was using. And that, to me, was a miracle all by itself. Absolutely. And I think there is such a a campaign now to legalize marijuana across the board because it has so many healing properties. And we've really been um, brainwashed, for want of a better word, into this concept that marijuana is a dangerous drug. And I think it, from what I've read, it's still listed as, as a dangerous drug on the drug, drug list. And marijuana, apart from having the physical healing properties, I, I believe has also been very instrumental for people in a spiritual awakening in, in terms of being a, a catalyst for more of that spiritual awareness. Is that something that you've experienced? Well, that is actually how my art came about. I am not an artist by trade or even um, by experience. I had always been very creative. I had a cake shop where I did wedding cakes and I remodeled my house, but my creativity was never channeled into the visual arts. So the way I discovered my art was After I had started using cannabis for a while, I got extremely creative. And I started making natural dyes out of not only fruits and vegetables and flowers, but also out of um, minerals and metals like copper and steel. And I started using these dyes on canvas and watching how they would just come together all by themselves with nature really holding the only brush because I never did use a paintbrush. And then I read a book um, authored by Masaru Emoto called Hidden Messages in Water. And I realized that there was power in words. And so I started writing words of intention onto the canvas with these natural dyes that I had made. And the painting started to just morph and change and come to life and start revealing images and messages. So cannabis inspired a creativity and a spiritual awareness that helped me see art in a different way. And I believe that everything that we need to inspire spiritual awakening and eventually spiritual enlightenment is all around us. And the messages are there for us to read if we pay attention. And so it's important that we learn this language of spirit. And I believe that spirit uses the language of metaphor in order to speak to us 
to guide us and help us um, heal all of these issues that we've grown up with, that we've lived and endured um, throughout our lives. There comes a time in each one of our lives where we have to open our eyes and wake up to a different path if we want to heal our body. And whether or not we realize it, our physical disease and our physical addictions are all born and bred in spiritual injury. Yes, I I absolutely agree with that. And, of course, it's the basis of Louise Hayes, heal your body, heal your life, is, you know, the emotional traumas are what are the the basis of our physical issues. So it sounds like that the discovery of the the benefits of, of medical marijuana and channeling that into your art was that what was the catalyst for you really feeling it was time to change your life? And and did that um, really create the, the idea of the art of compassion? You know, Janet, it really did because I spent a, a good year focusing on my own healing and getting off those drugs and understanding what the art wanted to be about during that initial period of my spiritual awakening. It was all love and light and wonderful feelings and healing and, and, and accomplishment. But my initial goals were very egoic in nature. I initially had an art gallery. I sold my art, um, But then in the spring of 2014, I was inspired to write a book about my experience, and I called that book The Art of Awakening. And as I was spending 2014, 2015 marketing my book, marketing my art, I came upon the anniversary of my son's death, which was February of 1993, I lost my son, Andrew, to a fetal demise. And every year on his anniversary, I would honor the loss. And usually it was a very lonely celebration or honoring because there weren't a lot of people in my life who even knew that I had lost a baby, let alone supported my grief work 20 years later. So I would always just the anniversary of his death and some contemplative um, experience. But, but in 2015, I decided I was going to do a painting, uh, a painting of catharsis. And um, I used several different words on his painting um, just to bring about a sense of my own healing. And the painting that resulted inspired me to use my art for something that was more healing for people. And that is how the art of compassion was born. And I spent um, a lot of time, a lot of work on getting this art of compassion as grief therapy off the ground. I was working 
with um, different hospitals in their SOLAS program, and I was also um, getting my work underway with hospice programs. And then um, what I call a tsunami came into my life, and it was an opportunity for me to put my money where my mouth was. I was talking a good talk about compassion, and I thought I knew how to embody compassion, and I felt very successful about the life I had already created for myself and overcoming my own drug addiction. But I had not yet, obviously, experienced the true nature of compassion. So one day, <laughs> I, um, I had a dream, and it was Mother's Day of 2015. And one of my children and I had been estranged for a while. Um, I wasn't quite sure the nature of the estrangement. It was mostly on her end. Well, it was all on her end. Um, I knew she was having some difficulties, but I didn't know the extent. So this dream I had on Mother's Day was, I won't go into it, but it was very real for me, and it left um, quite a bit of concern in my heart for my daughter. So I followed up on that dream, and what ended up happening is that my daughter was on the verge of losing her own life and her, her child to her own drug addiction, which also started as a pharmaceutically prescribed drug use. But her circumstances were different than mine. She was um, in a very, very abusive situation with a partner. She was uh, very, very much stuck in a, a, a cycle of poverty because she had been homeless for eight months trying to keep her family together. So eventually her prescribed drug addiction turned into a serious street drug addiction, and she was on the verge of losing her life, and that is what the dream I had told me. So over the course of a couple of weeks, around May of 2015, um, no one would step in to help her. And I was very hesitant of stepping in as well because it felt like stepping into a mud hole. And I did eventually take a mud bath from having stepped forward in compassion as I did because we faced uh, extreme challenges with our justice system. And she was um, in danger of of falling off the face of the earth like so many drug addicts end up, up doing. I don't I don't love the term drug addict, but I do use it freely because it is truth based in truth. And uh, she was a drug addict just as I had been, and I knew. She could overcome it just as I had done. But she needed help. She didn't have the kind of education that I had. She didn't have the kind of strength that I had developed over, you know, the course of decades in my life. And she didn't – she was behind the eight ball, 
in the first place. She had already suffered the ravages of homelessness. She had already suffered being told no um, when she asked for help from not only every member of her family, but also our justice system. She reached out for help, and she didn't get it. What she got was crucified, and she was threatened with having her child taken from her, and I was the only one who would step in and help her keep her child and overcome her addiction. Now, now that I've laid the groundwork for that story, let me tell you the miracle that occurred last summer. I took my daughter and my grandson into my home against the permission of my landlord. I was only allowed to live in my home by myself, and he evicted both myself and my daughter and my grandson because he wouldn't let them stay with me. So during this summer of struggle, she managed to overcome her own drug addiction completely, and that was proven by the court system because they made her take UAs twice a week. She kept her child with her. She got her own home and a full-time job. And over a year later, she is now completely free from any drug or alcohol use. She is completely free from a system that tried to crush her and would not help her when she asked. And she has overcome challenges that no other woman in that system has been able to overcome. And I speak the truth. Her social worker, her attorney, and the judge in her case have all admitted that not one woman has ever come out of this system and succeeded in overcoming a methamphetamine addiction and getting her children back. She is the first. And so when I speak about compassion, I'm not just talking about helping women who've lost their children or helping people who are grieving. I'm, help, I'm talking about showing compassion to those who have been knocked down and out of the game so that they can rise above these challenges and start contributing their own life and not be snuffed out by a compassionless system. I think that's a wonderful story, Anne. And what occurred to me is that there is so much judgment and condemnation of people for drug use and drug addiction rather than really looking at what was the cause of people getting into those situations and really, as you say, having compassion for that and helping people to recover from that. And it sounds like your daughter is an absolute... um, uh, warrior <laughs> is a good word in terms of overcoming those challenges. And I would definitely it, call her a warrior. <laughs> <laughs> and you yourself you were facing a lot of challenges during that period as well. How did you overcome 
being evicted and I think you were homeless for a while yourself because of that situation. How did you overcome that? Well, I can honestly say that I have just survived the hardest year of my life. I, like I said, um, we were both evicted from my home. And so at the end of August, we parted ways and she went um, to live with her sister for about a month until her own place was available. But I didn't have um, anywhere to go because um, my daughter's qualified for um, subsidized housing and, and some help with, um, you know, the, the welfare system. But I did not. So I was just kind of tossed out into a world where I didn't have anywhere to land. Um, because I use cannabis, it is impossible for me in Colorado to work in my field because I am an RN. Um, I'm not allowed to work and use cannabis at the same time. So I was faced with a few choices, and I had to make some really hard decisions for myself. Um, I, I refused to return to pharmaceutical drugs to treat my health conditions and my pain, especially because cannabis is treating them wonderfully. It is working for me, and I... I will not, I will not um, return to pharmaceutical drugs to treat my health problems. So I was standing my ground on, on that issue, but in doing so, I was unable to work in my field. And I had already worked very hard um, in an alternative career doing the art of compassionate grief therapy because I can counsel just fine using cannabis and um I don't have to use my clinical skills or be on top of, you know, my physical um, work when I'm using cannabis. And I use so little. I, um, I, I am not impaired in any way. It is truly um, a, a medication that I use, and I stand my ground in my right to use it. So not having a home to move into when I was evicted was, was a challenge for me because the rents in Colorado are so ridiculously high because of our legal cannabis I had a difficult time finding a place to go so I was homeless for six weeks before I found my way back into a home and that was an experience I will appreciate for the rest of my life and I will never forget because it gave me an opportunity to learn how so many people in our country live through no fault of their own, but only because we live in a culture that doesn't support compassionate service and also doesn't support compassionate use of cannabis. So I finally made my way back into my own home, but it's a home that doesn't have an art studio. So I've been struggling with trying to make a living doing my art, and writing my book. And I can honestly say that over the winter, um, this last winter, I have been going through such a spiritual transformation that I really had to let things sit for a while before I could make any firm decisions about what I was going to do for a living. 
I had even um, applied for a couple of counseling jobs in nursing, and I was offered those jobs, but in my honesty, standing in my integrity, I wouldn't compromise and take a drug test. I wouldn't compromise and not use cannabis, and I certainly wouldn't lie about my cannabis use. And I got a lot of flack for that from people who um, think that I should be working in my field. Um, There are ways to get around this system if you're willing to compromise your integrity, but I'm not willing to do that. I left religion about 10 years ago after my first divorce, and I think a lot of people think that because I'm not involved in any kind of religion or spiritual belief system that I don't still stand on my own integrity and honesty. But I stand on those values so firmly that I wouldn't be moved. I still will not be moved. And so I am experiencing poverty in my efforts to make a living and um, stand on my ground of compassion. But I'm willing to suffer the consequences of my decisions, just as we all must. But I won't compromise. What role do you feel that these experiences have had in terms of your spiritual awakening? Because we could look at them in terms of the impact on a human level and on a physical level. But I'm very interested in really understanding your interpretation in terms of what's often called the dark night of the soul. And I think we we have many of those along the journey. And what would you say it, it triggered in you in terms of this spiritual awakening that not having had those experiences would have meant... Um, not have, you know, making the changes that you've obviously made. Right. Well, you know, I consider myself, um, like I said, a healer first and foremost, but I do my healing through teaching. And any teacher worth their weight must have walked the walk, in my opinion. You know, there's that saying, those who cannot do teach. I don't believe that at, at all. I will not teach what I do not know. And when I when I received this calling to use my art in the work of compassion, I made a promise that I would always act in compassion. I thought I knew what that meant. But in May of 2015, I think... Spirit told me to prove it. And up until that point, my spiritual awakening, like I said, was, was all sweetness and light. It felt great. I, feel, I felt like I had opened my eyes and seen the light. But if, if you're going to teach about something, if you're going to walk the walk, you have to experience the depth of the principles that you teach. 
I believe that because the principle that I stand on first and foremost is the principle of compassion and the power compassion has to change our lives and the lives of those that we love, I had to be taught the true nature of compassion. And compassion often requires personal sacrifice. And if we are not willing to sacrifice in the name of compassion, then we do not understand what compassion is. These sacrifices I made were truly just egoic sacrifices. I did not have to compromise my soul ever. In fact, that was one of the greatest lessons over this last year that I've been taught. I've had many opportunities to receive funding for my work. It is not as if I'm beating on doors that are not opening for me. In fact, I've had two significant experiences where I was offered a lot of support and help to get my work underway. But when it came down finally to the brass tack, it was made clear to me that I would have to compromise pieces of my soul in order to receive the help that was being offered in, uh, no, I'm going to say it was being disguised in altruism and philanthropy because these offers of help were couched in expectation that I compromise myself, whether having a relationship with someone personally and sexually that I didn't want to have or whether I was being asked to compromise my own integrity. Neither situation is amenable to me. And so I had to turn down these offers. And in doing so, I've been left um, with very little to get my work um, resurrected. And so I think that I am being asked to be an example of how we can still have a voice when we've been silent, how we can still move forward and have an impact on the world on a grand scale with no money, with no resources. Jan, you and Bill gave me a platform and an opportunity to speak. Facebook gives me an opportunity to speak. And my words have power, and I don't need money or resources behind my words. Yes, that's wonderful, Anne. And, you know, we do get caught up in this um, belief system around the need for money and resources in order to do things and very often put things off because we believe in them being conditional on those things. Do you feel that we're being tested in terms of our um, commitment to our purpose? Because I'm very much hearing the story of you discovering your true purpose. And there have been similarities, I would say, for me along the way in terms of thinking I needed to take some other path to address financial resource issues and so on, but really knew in my heart it was the wrong thing to do and decided not to go down that path. And again, suffered similar consequences to what you're talking about. But... um, do you feel that that is a, a form of testing or is it just a case of keeping our focus on 
on the true purpose and the true path that we have to tread? You know, I I don't really care for the word testing. That was a big word in um, my religion, and mm. it and it. It gave the impression that we're here to prove something, that we're here to pass some kind of exam. Um, I don't, I don't personally believe that's the point of our existence here on the planet. Um, I do believe in a concept called the refiner's fire, and I think that when we feel we're being tested, that is more as um, the refiner's fire for me, where we are facing circumstances and experiences that will provide an opportunity for growth and an opportunity for learning. But more importantly than that is the opportunity each one of us has to reach a divine destiny. That's written in our soul. And, you know, that still small voice, that whisper that you hear, the passion that lives in your heart, that is telling you what your divine destiny is. And we all have the opportunity to reach for that brass ring, but first we have to figure out what our destiny is. And I can tell you this, your destiny will not include compromising your soul. So some of these tests that we take, what we call tests, it's, it's the light shining in our eyes. It's, it's, it's saying, is this a choice you want to make? Is this a road you want to go down? Because it's not going to take you to your own truth. It's going to take you towards compromise. But we've been convinced that the only way to succeed in the male paradigm is to submit to this dog-eat-dog world and, and submit to the... Um, logic rather than following our intuitive knowing. And that intuition is born and bred in our souls, not in our minds. Yes, absolutely. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is a lot of people um, coming face to face with that choice. Now, this is where we're seeing a huge amount of shift going on in people's lives and even in, on, a, on a macro level, on a global level, as well as on a personal level. So it, it's, it can be encouraging to know that we're not the only ones going through these things and, and it's all leading to really our, our ultimate good, our, our highest good. Um, so, Anne, what have been your greatest challenges in trying to share your messages of compassion? The greatest challenge I've had is not having a platform in order to share um, my work and my voice. I've been silenced so many times, and I think this is a um, challenge that most women face. You know, this this trip that I just returned from, this spiritual sabbatical that I was on, um, was so transformative for me and really helped me to ground my own truth and to um, come to an understanding of my next steps forward. But I understood during this time away that I haven't had a voice in 
in my life. I was um, the third daughter in my family of origin. Um, I was born and raised and spent 20 years of my adult life in a church that silenced women's voices. I have been silenced during my divorces. Um, Women do not have as much of a voice as men do. And when we speak, sometimes we are um, unintentionally silenced, even by the people that we love, because words of compassion and feminine wisdom and love and and all of those um, spiritual concepts don't really fit in with this masculine paradigm that the real world um, is all about. We turn on the television to any news station and we're inundated with ugliness and hate and fear and doubt. And I don't know that we really understand that there's a different way to be. There's a different way to live. And I feel sometimes like I'm standing on the top of a hill shouting at the top of my lungs and nobody can hear me. And I decided that I was not going to die on that hill and that there had to be a better way to share my message than to be constantly beat down every time I opened my mouth. So I had to I had to reconfigure my plan and that meant that I had to surrender to spirit. I had to let go, um, overcome my egoic hold on what success looked like, and just let spirit take me. I just posted something on Facebook that I wrote this morning about being like water. We have to learn to flow with our emotions, and we have to learn how to let go and be taught and to allow our ego to be quiet for a minute so we can hear that still, small voice. And we need to start listening to voices of compassion as opposed to the voices of fear. Yes, absolutely. And it is a challenge. It it seems to me like we've got a parting of the ways at the moment with this growing divide between the people who are awakening and those who are still sleepwalking through this very um, left-brained world of conflict, world of fear, world of anger, all of those negative energies. And for, for those of us who are walking the other way, when we have to interact with that other world, it, it can be quite physically painful. Would you agree? Oh, I would absolutely agree. Um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally painful. And mm. the truth is, you know, our families, what we call family, are those people we were born in into family with and those people that we are in connection with because we create families. Those people are not necessarily on the same um, spiritual level, but we continue to, you know, interact with them and, and want to have relationships with them. But if we don't 
branch out and start connecting with other awakened individuals, we are at risk of having our light just snuffed out because the dark or what I call the shadow side of light is always trying to hide from the light. And sometimes the light hurts people's eyes and we can set ourselves up for attack and ostracism and and especially those of us who are more vocal um, are really at risk for being not only psychically attacked, <laughs> but also verbally attacked. Um, and so it's important that, you know, we have these firm boundaries and that we protect ourselves. But more than that, we need to find a home, a true spiritual home with people that support our goals and our values and that will honor the light rather than try to snuff it out. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Um, So, Anne, what are your priorities moving forward in terms of really getting your art of compassion out to the world and, and really promoting the concept and the, the act of compassion where we're obviously in a world where it's so much needed so very much? You know, Jan, I my path for quite a while because I haven't found uh, financial success in four years of offering compassion. That's fairly common with people who are um, involved in altruistic careers and endeavors. I never made a whole lot of money in public health. Um, That's not what our culture values. But I've come to the conclusion (laughs) that I'm no longer willing to suffer the ravages of poverty and continue to be an example of uh, sacrifice in the name of compassion. I realize that there is abundance and prosperity in this world up for grabs. And the first step in achieving that is to believe in yourself and to believe it's possible and to let go of these false ideas that um, people who, who work in altruistic service don't deserve to be paid for their work. So the first step I'm taking is I'm not giving my work away anymore. I have given it all away up to this point, and I can't, I literally cannot do that anymore. So I'm finally having the courage to stand behind my work and point blank ask for funding and support to get this work off the ground. And I really do believe that we are in a cultural climate where people are making choices about what to do with their money, how to use their money, how to spend it. And if our political climate isn't enough of an example of where we are headed if we continue going down this path as a culture, then then there may not be any hope. But I don't believe that. I believe there's hope. I believe that this political climate is a it is 
an opportunity for us to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, what have we become? What have we become? And, and, and to look around at all of the other opportunities in the world to, to support compassion and unconditional love. They are out there. I and my daughter are living examples of how we can overcome the hate and the fear and the difficulty and, and not only pull ourselves out of the gutter, but help get other people out of the gutter. But you know what? We cannot do this without resources. So I need funding for the art of compassion. And I'm also passionate about sharing these messages that I receive every single day through spiritual channeling. So I'm looking for a foundation for blogging, and I'm not going to give up on writing my second book. um, I'd love to get a book deal for that. Um, Self-publishing my last book took about all the resources I had left. So I have big dreams, but my my um, immediate goal is to start serving women with my art therapy and grief and loss, and that just requires some funding. Okay. And it's very interesting what you were saying about this tendency of people within the holistic and um, altruistic circles to undervalue or almost devalue their work, believing that it's um, there's some connection in some people's eyes between spiritual and altruistic work and money being um, unclean or it, it's not spiritual. And this is where I think, you know, I personally had some issues along the way about um, the relationship with money. And I think many of us on this spiritual journey do go through that shift. And by opening up to say, this, we recognize our true worth and the worth of, of what we're contributing to the world, and that should open up the, the flow of abundance to us all by just allowing it to come to us. So I think it's a really important point that a lot of people in the holistic market still have this inner conflict about. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a very simplistic way to put it when we, when we say we just have to open our, ourselves up and allow the money to come. It's okay to be rich. It's okay to have money. But in order to really um, process these hidden beliefs that we have, we have to face our own shadow in regards to money and abundance and prosperity. And many of us um, live in a way that prioritizes those things that shouldn't be a priority. And so I think one of the quote-unquote tests that we take, the challenges that we face as especially as American citizens, is to come to an understanding and realization that what we thought we needed really was what we thought we wanted. And some of this testing is 
is meant to change our priorities, to help us understand that things and stuff do not matter. Human beings matter. And every human being deserves to eat. Every human being deserves to have their medicine. And every human being deserves to have shelter. So I, having been that consumeristic American middle-class woman, I have a lot of hidden beliefs um, to clear away about priorities, financial priorities. I've made some mistakes in my life, and I haven't always been as generous and altruistic as I am now. And I finally realized, because I've experienced the depths of poverty myself, that my priorities needed to change. So I, I wonder if many people who are on the spiritual path still have some of those lessons to learn about themselves. How compassionate are we really when we turn a blind eye to other people who are in need? Yes, and, and sometimes it's not necessarily a lack of compassion. It's a feeling of disempowerment at, at what kind of difference a person can make. And that would get us into a whole other story and discussion. And we are getting towards the end of the show now, Anne. So um, what I'd really like to do is to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners how they can support you, get in touch with you, um, even see examples of your art and the work that you do. Um, and I know primarily it's Facebook at the moment, but if you want to share any other way of um, share the Facebook link and also any other way that they can contact you. Right. Um, well, I did have a website um, and I had planned on resurrecting that website before the show, but um I lost some of my funding because I refused to compromise myself. Um, so that was, that just happened recently. So right now I am completely dependent on my Facebook page. I am um, hoping to get a website back up and running. But I have nothing to hide, and I am completely authentic on my Facebook page. So anyone, um, everything's public, so anyone can go to my Facebook page. It's Annlytic. RNCSM, and you can find um, my art on my Facebook page. You can read my blog posts. You can um, personal message me to find out how to donate to the Art of Compassion. I am currently working on a few contracts with hospitals and hospices. So eventually um, you would be able to donate directly to those organizations. Because I'm not I'm not an organization. I'm not a um, nonprofit entity. So any donation to me would be purely philanthropic because there would be no tax um, benefit at the at the moment. But as soon as I, you know, get my website up and running and get the art of compassion under a um, nonprofit organization, you could donate that way as well. But really, my goal right now is just to. Um, get some exposure. My message is about compassion, and that's really um, what I wanted to share today is how, how much compassion can make a difference 
in somebody's life and in my personal life that has saved two human beings from the brink. So I think that's the message worth sharing, whether I end up getting funding or not. I, I feel like I've accomplished a lot in just an hour. Yes, that's a wonderful message um, and a very inspiring story that you've told today, which I'm sure will help a lot of people that are perhaps going through challenging times. So I'd really like to thank you for being on the show, Anne. It's been an absolute pleasure and we wish you every success with your work and with the funding that you need for the art of compassion and the work that you do. So I'm going to wind up the show now. Um, would you like to just say a, a, a last goodbye to our listeners, Anne, before I wind up? I would love to. I'd love to thank you for the opportunity. And rather than saying goodbye, I'm, I hope I'm saying hello to um, more followers on my Facebook page and um, readers of my books. And I hope this is the beginning of a new relationship with um, the spiritual community. So thank you very much, Jan and Bill. I appreciate the exposure and the support. That's wonderful, Anne. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll be broadcasting every week with more expert and inspirational guests talking about all aspects of conscious living. So to avoid missing any episodes, please follow us on Blog Talk Radio or visit the radio show page at asmilingworldmedia.com where you can listen to our latest shows and sign up to receive news of upcoming shows by email. You can also follow us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash powerful people. And we also have the Conscious Living Club on Facebook, which is a group for everyone who's interested in exploring consciousness, conscious living, and so on. And if you just do a search for the Conscious Living Club, you should be able to find us okay. So I'm going to hand over to Bill now to finally close the show. And thank you again, Anne, for being a wonderful guest. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Jan. And a reminder, the Conscious Living Show is brought to you by Jan and Bill Moore of A Smiling World. And we provide coaching, training, and events on personal empowerment, conscious evolution, conscious business development, and the universal laws of success. To find out more about our coaching, workshops, and online courses, and to get your free copy of Dream Achiever Success Kit, go to asmilingworld.org, and if you're building or planning to build a conscious business, you will find a wealth of free resources at successfrequency.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for more expert interviews, tips, and tools on conscious living. And now we will close with the Beach Boys from their 50th anniversary album, Good Vibrations.
softly smile I know she must be kind Sing along, it's alright? Gotta keep those love good vibrations. Ahead. 